Welcome to Passion Church. For more information about Passion Church, please visit us online at www.passionchurch.tv. Now let's join the service already in progress. All the time. See, I've discovered something. We're, we're, um, we're starting a new series this morning for the next four weeks. Um, and I've discovered, it's called Old School. And uh, I've discovered that you really can't live life effectively looking backwards. Uh, you know the old statement that you can't drive if you're always looking in the rearview mirror. I get that. You cannot effectively live your life and accomplish everything that God has intended for you to accomplish if you're constantly looking over your shoulder. There is this forward perspective and mo mo movement that you must have in order for you to walk right before God and to do all He's called you to do. But at the same time, how many of you recognize this morning that you may not be all the way where God wants you to be, but when you stop long enough and to look back and you see where you've come from, you realize that although you may not be as mature as you would like to be and you may not be as accomplished as you ought to be, the truth is, is that you are a lot further along than you were when you started. Anybody going to testify that that's my story? I, I, I'm further along than I thought I would be. So what I recognize this morning is that although I must live forward, there is this concept where it is essential for me to occasionally stop and go old school for just a minute and look back and recognize all that God has done in my life because if I don't do that, I fail to be as thankful as I should be. And so what we're doing is this. Over the course of the next four weeks, since many of you have not been with us that long and many of you were not here in the early days, we're six years old now and, and I know six years old is still pretty young, but the truth is is that many of you have joined us in this journey just recently in the last couple of years and, and so what we're going to do is I begin to reflect back and realize that there were some words that went out, some messages that I preached in the early days that in order for you to join us in the journey to catch up you've got to know what we were talking about you've got to hear some of the words that God gave us and so what I've done is I've gone back and 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 narrowed six years of messages down into four distinct moments where I felt like God used me to kind of thrust us on this journey and I'm going to try to catch you up and so for some of you this is going to be a little bit of a repeat but that's all right because you don't remember anything unless you hear it seven times anyways so so you're going to hear some old stuff it's old school this message that I'm going to preach to you this morning will in fact be the most recent message that I've preached to you. Uh, the other three are going to go way back. Now this sounds funny. Way back to 2009 and uh, way back to 2007. In fact, I'm going to preach a message in, the, uh, in next week that I preached to, to folks before we were ever even a church. We did this thing called a preview service. We did three of them. And in 2007, I preached one, and so uh, th th that's what I'm going to do next week. But this morning, I want to bring to you a message that I delivered to you as a part of ser a series in April of 2011. A little bit of old school for you. The series was called Reverse. I, uh, for, 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 for those of you that don't know, I've been involved in sports all my life. The, the, the love of my life, the, the, the first love of my life in sports was baseball. 
I, I was a weird little kid. I, I didn't want an Xbox. Couldn't have had one anyway because they didn't have them back then. But I didn't want an Atari. Uh, I got one, but I didn't really. That's not really what I cared about. What I cared about was baseball. All I wanted to happen was I wanted my dad to take me into the city park every day, hours on end, until it got dark, take a baseball bat and hit me ground ball after ground ball after ground ball. I loved baseball. But since I was such a stud and was such a hunk of a man at 89 pounds, I decided as a eighth grader that I probably ought to go out for football. So I went out for football, and most of you know this story. That didn't last very long at 89 pounds. All they had to do was they put me in this drill where you square off with the other guy. They drop the ball in the middle, and they tell you to go get it. They put me up against Corwin Walker, who was a beast of a man. He weighed 189 pounds, rock-solid muscle. He was a stud, and he hit me so hard going after that ball at 89 pounds that my helmet completely spun around backwards while it was still on my head and I stood up after that hit and I somehow managed to take that helmet off and I walked off that football field and said devil you are a liar I ain't never playing this game again and so I moved on to some of you know this I moved on to cross country uh, if you've been with us long enough, you know I preached a series about road rules and showed you some pictures of me running in cross country. And so I've loved sports. When I graduated high school, my coaches at high school told me where I was too small. I, I need therapy because I'm bruised and scarred for life. They told me I was too short. And so I didn't pick up a basketball until I was about a junior in high school. And I fell in love with basketball and played through college and, and all those things and most of the sports that I have been involved in basically revolved around the need for other people and a team you can't win a basketball game by yourself unless you're Michael Jordan and then and that's a different story and you ain't uh and and, uh, and you can't win a, a baseball game by yourself you you can't even you can't even win a cross country meet by yourself. You got to have teammates that that run and push you and help you and help you. So that was the bulk of my sports. But but there, there was this one sport I got involved in. I got involved in it as a, a, a middle school student, and it taught me about me as an individual, and it taught me about. A person's heart and a person's will. From, from my second year in middle school until my junior year of high school, I, I wrestled. Lo and behold, woo, Ric Flair, no. That's me at 82 pounds, I think, in the eighth grade. Uh, give them the next one, Ashley, because they ain't got it. That's me dominating, dominating, kicking some rear. That's me right there. One more, Ashley. Yeah, there. Yeah, 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 yeah. See, I wrestled. I wrestled uh, 82 pounds, then I graduated to 89 pounds, and by the time I was a junior, I was wrestling at 101 pounds. Whew. Mm. Old school, man. Y'all wonder why I didn't wear that outfit. I couldn't get that outfit on my ankle. Uh, uh, see, wrestling is this, this sport of an extreme, it's extreme and requires extreme discipline. 
Uh, it's all about leverage. It's all about technique. Uh, one world famous wrestler said this. He said, once you've wrestled, everything in life after that is easy. I think he was right, man. I, I, I can't even describe to you at the level of brutality that our practices were. They were stinking brutal. We wore plastics, y'all. These are like trash bags with arms and sleeves that you tape so that as you're wrestling in a 104-degree uh, room, little wrestling room with all these other sweaty guys, that you begin to lose weight so that you could pull weight to get down to your weight class. It was brutal. My coach just went in the coaching hall of fame here in Oklahoma was brutal. I cannot even begin to tell you how practices were we about every two weeks my coach would come in all happy and say we're gonna have a gut check practice today oh lord lord there was no wrestling it was all sit-ups and push-ups and leg lifts and and sprawling and running and it was the most grueling thing i have ever endured in my life and it had nothing to do with a team it had to do with your own individual determination to win. Well, let me just simply say this. Wrestling is like one-on-one -on -one warfare. But I understand that wrestling can be confusing. Because what I know is, is that for most of you, when I say wrestling, what goes through your mind is what you've seen late on a Saturday night where they're throwing chairs and, and strutting in the ring and they've all got ring names like mine was white chocolate. No, that's a different sport. I'm talking about I'm talking about I'm talking about real wrestling, all right? I understand that's all fake. Ain't nothing real about that. But the real genuine thing, it, it is a different animal. And I recognize that that it can be confusing. So I'm gonna give you the the, the cliff note version of how wrestling works, just so your life can be complete. So you're square off against somebody that's supposed to be the same weight as you. What happens is they pull weight up until the day, and then there's not a weigh-in right before the match, and so they go to Kentucky Fried Chicken, and now they weigh 662 pounds, and they beat your rear. But that's a different story. I told you I'm scarred. I need therapy. But, 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 but you square off against this guy across the mat from you, and you stand there in a ready position, and when the referee blows the whistle, the match begins, and you attempt to shoot in or use a technique and take your opponent off his feet. And when you do that, you get two points take that all right so then when you're a beast like I was a beast uh, you uh, you turn the guy over and when you break parallel and his shoulders begin to turn towards the mat if you can hold him there the referee begins to count and you get near fall points you get two points if you hold him one length of time you get three points if you hold him a little longer and if you're strong enough and talented enough and skilled enough you turn him all the way over and put both shoulders on the mat and the moment you do you pin him. You win. But there's two other ways to score, too. You shoot in, and you take your guy down. And you've got I started to bring Woody up here because Woody wrestled. We were going to put on a demonstration, but 
we couldn't afford the chiropractor bill afterwards. And so, uh, and, and so, and so you take your opponent down and, and you're trying to maneuver for extra points, back points, pinfall, all that stuff. You can't do it. And all of a sudden, he uses his leverage and he gets away from you and he gets back to neutral. That's called an escape. And you get one point for an escape. But let's say you're the one that was taken down. Your opponent's quick. He, he, he's having a great day. Uh, you didn't sleep well the last night. I don't know. And he takes you down, and he's got control of you. And there are all these moves that you could do where you would use your leverage and get him to lean the wrong way. And all of a sudden, you'd reach back, and you'd come out on top, and now you're on top of him. That's called a reverse. And a reverse is worth two points. All right, now you all know everything you need to know about wrestling. You are a wrestling connoisseur. See, uh, yeah, okay. So I need you to turn in your Bibles to Proverbs chapter 24, verse 16. All that to get you here. Listen to this statement right here. No matter how many times you trip them up, God-loyal people don't stay down long. (laughs) I I ain't preaching this for y'all. I'm preaching this one for me. I chose this one just for me. I'm happy. I'm going to preach myself so that y'all can sit there and stare at me. I don't care. I'm going to have me some fun today. This is my favorite message. I think I got one other message I've ever preached that I like more than this one, so I get to preach this one. As long as they're God-loyal, they don't stay down long. (laughs) Soon they're up on their feet. And then I love this part. While the wicked end up flat on their faces. Let me tell you some things this morning. I just need to tell you this. Number one, I need to tell you that everybody will suffer a takedown. It doesn't take a rocket science, scientist to figure out that there are, some, there are more scoring opportunities if you are offensively minded. But it, but it doesn't really matter how dominant you are in the sport of wrestling. It doesn't matter how many victories you've won. It doesn't matter how many times you take your opponent down. At some point in your experience as a wrestler, there's going to come a moment when you're going to come up with, against somebody that's going to make the right move, that's going to operate with the right counterattack. And at some point in your wrestling career you will suffer a takedown it's inevitable everybody gets taken down at some point see one of the life lessons I've learned in wrestling is that it didn't matter how strong or dominant a guy was at some point somebody would come along who would have the ability to take him off his feet and I bring that to your attention because some of us walk around here acting like we are super Christians and that nothing can phase us and we never let anybody see us cry and we never let anybody see us struggle and we never let anybody in on the fact that there's a burden on our life and we never let anybody know that there's pain in our life and we never let anybody know that this week has been a week from Hades and we walk around strutting as if all the lights turn green when we drive everywhere we drive and like we're glowing in the dark we're so spiritual and we want to make everybody think that we've never been taken down in our entire little Christian experience but the truth is the truth is what had happened is we all suffer takedowns 
There's not a person under the sound of my voice. I don't care whether you've been a Christian two days or two decades. I don't care whether you can quote every verse of Scripture in the entire Bible backwards. The truth is that at some point in your Christian experience and in your Christian journey, there will be something that comes along that will knock you off of your feet. And you can hide it all you want to. And you can strut around all super spiritual like you want to. And you can bounce off the walls and, and glow in the dark and do all that stuff. But the truth is, is that we know that everybody suffers a takedown. Everybody. Something will seem to knock you down and knock you off your feet every time. The fact is that there's something in your life that will seem to always get the upper hand. There's something that will dominate you more times than not. Takedowns are a part of life. They hurt. They're embarrassing. Hello. They are unsettling. They require recovery. I can still remember the... Uh, the hardest and most severe takedown I've ever had in my life in a wrestling situation. We were in a practice. This guy that I was in the same weight class as, we were practicing together, and I guess he needed to show how dominant he was, and, and, and he, I was down on all fours, and he was on top of me, and the coach blew the whistle, and when he blew the whistle, I jumped up to my feet to try to escape, and when I did, he because you can't lock your hands when they're on the ground. As soon as I stepped up, he wrapped his arms around me and pinned this arm to my side and locked his hands in front of me. And he lifted all 89 pounds of me off the floor. He must have been strong. He lifted all 89 pounds of me off the floor. And he turned me in the air and slammed me right back down on this side of my head and on this side of my shoulder. And I couldn't stop myself. I don't remember anything after that. Seriously. I don't remember practicing them. I couldn't move my arm, couldn't move my head. I, I don't remember how I got home because in those days it was safe enough that we walked home and I walked home about a mile and a half, didn't know where I lived, didn't know how to get there. I just found my way home somehow. I walk in the front door. My daddy says, how did practice go? I don't know. I have no clue. Who are you? I, I, do you have any homework? I have no clue. Did I go to school today? And they suddenly realize something's wrong and take me to the hospital and, re and they discover I have a concussion and amnesia. That is a hard takedown. But, but what I recognize this morning is that many of you have had moments, some of you have endured some brutal takedowns. Some of you are going through or you're presently going through right now some things that have not only knocked you off your feet, but they've also knocked the wind out of you. They, knocked, they have knocked life out of you. And now what you discover is that you're dazed and you're bewildered and this room called life is spinning out of control. For some of you, the doctor's diagnosis sent you, in, sent you straight to the mat. For some of you, it was the voice of the one that used to say, I love you, and now they say, I hate you. And it knocked your feet out. For some of you, it's been the domination of a, an, addic an addiction that seems to cause you to go face down on the mat over and over and over, and you wonder if you're ever going to be able to recover. But I just wanted to tell you this morning. I just came by to encourage you. To tell you this morning that, that even though the takedown has been painful and even though it's excruciating and even though you're embarrassed because it continues to knock you off your feet, can I tell you this morning this simple little truth that you need to get down in your spirit and that is this, a reverse is not possible 
until there has at first been a takedown. Y'all missed it. You can never get a reverse until you have first been taken off of your feet. In other words, the takedown doesn't have to be the last word in the matter. In other words, the takedown doesn't have to be the final blow struck in the match. In other words, the takedown must may just be a setup in disguise. The divorce papers were a setup. The bankruptcy was a setup. The pain was a setup. The the heartache was a setup in disguise. Because you can't have a reverse until there is a take down. There's an old school song. It's a horrible song. Um, I'm sorry to do this to you because now you're going to be singing it all day. And I get it. We're going to see each at the stoplight going in. And I'm, I'm going to know exactly what you're singing. And I hate to, I hate to do this to you. But, 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 but this old school, it's a, it's a horrible song. It'll never make the top songs of all history. It is a horrible song. But. I really want it to get you into your spirit. As a mantra of someone who has learned that Proverbs was right, that godly people get knocked off their feet, but they don't stay there. It's not long, and they get, come on, Ashley, play that thing, and let's get it into their spirit, and let's mess with them a little bit. I'm sorry, y'all going to be singing that all day. get knocked down but Proverbs said that the godly people are knocked down yeah but they get back up see there are only three options if you're taken down you only have three options if you're taken down if life knocks you off your feet you got three options here they are quickly number one you can quit you you, you can lay there and you can give up, and you can throw in the towel and do nothing. And I just want to be honest with you guys. I have seen takedowns that were so severe that people just quit. Offer no resistance. In fact, the fastest pin that I ever did in, in high school is I went to Lotton, Oklahoma for a wrestling match. And I walked out on the, on the mat, and there was this kid standing there. And when the, when the referee blew the whistle, I kicked his tail. I, I let me live in my own imagine my own. He stood there. He must, it must have been his first day wrestling. I don't know, but he stood there. The whistle blew. I shot him for the most beautifully executed double leg takedown in the history of all wrestling. I lifted that boy up in the air and slammed him on the mat and put him. I think he literally lifted his leg up and gave it to me right by his head. And I sunk in a cradle, and I pinned him in 34 seconds. Woo! You know why? Because he didn't even resist. He didn't even try. And my issue is, is that some of you, are great quitters. You offer no resistance at all. When life comes along and knocks you down, you just lay down and you take it 
and you're so used to playing the victim that you let the enemy stomp all over you and you do nothing. And so I just want to say this to you. Quit quitting. In fact, I, I just want to draw your attention to a great passage of Scripture that teaches us that quitters never win. It's Matthew chapter 24, verse 13. It's a promise that says this. Those that endure till the end are saved. Or the Message Bible says it like this. I think this is powerful. It says, staying with it. That's what God requires. Stay with it to the end. You won't be sorry and you'll be saved. In other words, God is saying, listen, quit quitting. Don't give up. You're going to suffer a takedown. And one of your options is to throw in the towel and quit. But God is saying, just hang on. Don't give up. Don't quit. And he'll come through. He'll save you. Lord, my relationship is over. Don't quit. I'm always going to be sick. Don't quit. I'll always make a C on my test. Don't quit. Study harder. I'll never get a raise. Don't quit. I'll never get a promotion. Clock in early. Stay late. But don't quit. One pastor said this. And I think he's right. Listen to this carefully. Any area of your life for which you have no hope is under the influence of a lie. Y'all missed that. That, that. That's too good. Any area of your life in which you examine that part of your life and go there's no hope there you are living under the influence of a lie and if you won't quit according to scripture those that hang on and endure to the end they will be saved so you can quit that's one option the second option is you can escape You can get up and begin to look for an escape. One of the greatest promises we're ever given in Scripture is found in 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 13. Listen very carefully. Listen to this promise. There hath no temptation taken you, but such as any man can bear. But God is faithful. Say that to your neighbor. Come on, look at him and say, God is faithful. Come on, it's a promise. God is faithful faithful who will not suffer you to be tempted above that you are able but will with the temptation make also the way of escape in other words the second option when you're taken down is if you decide you're not going to quit then the second option for you is that God may actually provide for you and, and it's a promise from him that he will provide for you a way of escape our problem is is we don't take the escape when it's offered Oh, this didn't go over so well in first service, so I'm going to try it again see if y'all accept it any better. Like for your marriage, like, like the escape that God planned was you could have got counseling when you first started having problems. But instead, I think my escape is the judge. But if I would have backed up and recognized that God never sends me anything that I can't escape from, then probably early there was an escape clause in there where I could have gone and got some help before it got so bad. 
Same's true for your credit. Um, I see, I knew, I knew, I knew. See, the promise is, is that nothing will come without a way of escape. God never fails to provide a way out. Even as devastating as the takedowns of your life may be, there is a way out. Now, here's the deal. You have to work to find it. I've never, in a wrestling match, never escaped anything by laying there and taking it. Escapes are based upon decisions. Decisions that even though he is digging his elbow in places it shouldn't be dug, I ain't staying down here forever, and I make a decision to not give up. I'm going to make a decision to get back on my feet and fight. Y'all, y'all, are you See, escapes are about hard work. And escapes are about pursuing opportunities. Let me just help you this morning. I'm just going to help you. You cannot whine your way into an escape. And you cannot cry your way into escape. You have to work your way into escape. So, so what that means is you spend all the money that you got available on your credit card. You can't go to God and say, oh, please, God, get me out of debt. Can you see all this debt I'm in? It's your fault, God. Get me out of this. No, no, no. Don't work like that. He's going to look and say, start working. Quit spending. Live on a budget. And see, it didn't go over first service either. <laughs> see, here's what we know is that God prepares. Listen to me. God is preparing a way of escape before the takedown ever took place. That's the promise. That means if you're suffering a takedown right now, long before the shot ever took place in your life, he was already establishing and preparing for you a way to get out. But you got to work. Now, here's the deal. You can quit. You can escape. But sometimes I wonder if we miss something. Some of us have become such, such escape artists and become so escapist in our mentality. That's why we sing, I fly away. Horrible theology. That song is horrible in theology. I don't like the condition of our, our, our nation. I don't like our president. I don't like our congressman. I don't like my boss. I don't like my car. I don't even like my wife. I don't like my dog. So I'll fly away some glad morning. Get me out of here, God. I'll just leave it all behind. Let them deal with it. Horrible. But we sang it so long that now we operate in an escapist mentality so that now what happens is when things get bad, we want out. Jack is some of your whole upbringing. Some of you are like, he's talking about my songs. I sung that song when I was four years old. Get over it. You can quit or you can escape, but sometimes I think we're so used to escaping that we miss what God is really trying to do, which is setting us up for the third option, which is not to quit and it's not to escape. It's for a reverse. God don't get me wrong. I told you it's one of the greatest promises found in Scripture. He provides a way of escape. I like escapes. There are moments in your life when you need to get out with your life. Like Joseph, when Potiphar's wife shows up looking all like that and saying, come on, you got to just grab your stuff and run. There are some days when all you need to do is escape. I am not dissing escape. I like escapes. But 
some of us won't stick around long enough to experience a greater point value, which is a reverse. Could it be that God, while providing you a way of escape, would much prefer you to stick around and discover that he's a turnaround God? Could it be if you just stay in the fight just a little bit longer? Could it be that if you would just endure the pain and the misery of your relationship one week longer? Could it be that if you you were diligent in your work for one month longer? Could it be that God is trying to set you up for a reverse? Maybe your determination to escape is causing you to lose the opportunities to score reverse. See, I just came to tell somebody this morning. Here's the encouraging part. I just came to tell somebody this morning that God still turns things around. Three of you believe that. So I'm going to have to work this on you a little bit. God still has the ability and the authority and the strength and the wherewithal to turn things around. He has this ability. He wants to turn the table on what has been keeping you down. When an escape is available, we need to stop long enough and ask God, God, do you want me to escape or are you going to do what your word says, which says that you can take what the enemy meant for harm and make it to my good. God, are you going to turn? Is there a reverse in the mix? See, I'm, I'm glad that we're guaranteed a way of escape, but how many of you know that there are times uh, that, 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 that I just got to hold on long enough and I recognize that the God of the universe cares so much about me that he can watch me get my, my feet knocked out from under me and watch me set up for ridicule and failure and he can step into that moment and turn everything around. God can give a reversal. I'm glad that there are times when God helps us dominate what used to dominate us. I'm glad that there are times when we get to destroy what was destroying us. I'm thankful there are times that we get to turn the table on the enemy of our soul and put him under our feet. I'm glad that God can turn things around. Is there anybody in the room that has ever had a turnaround experience with God where it looked like you were going down for the last time and your deadline for intervention won't pass and your design for delivery didn't come to pass but right in the last moment God stepped into the equation and although it looked like it was over and you were going to drown and you were going to go under and life as you knew it would never be the same God stepped in and y'all won't do it so I'm going to have to do it I just got to tell you my testimony I just need to tell you that there were moments in my life when I didn't know what I was going to do and I didn't know how I was going to make ends meet and I looked at my wife and said I don't know how we're going to pay the bills we got all zeros in the checkbook there's nothing in front of the zeros it's all zeros and I don't know what I'm going to do and out of nowhere God would turn it around. You don't understand my experience. My experience is is that I took my one-year-old son by the name of Tao and laid him on the floor and there was no breath in him and his eyes rolled up in the back of his head and I had to get on all fours and say, the Lord giveth and the Lord taketh away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. And I backed off to watch him die and all of a sudden out of nowhere, 
Woo! He turned it around. I just need to tell you about friends that have stabbed me in the back. I thought they had my back, but they stabbed me in the back. And they talked junk about me. And they did me wrong. And they walked away and betrayed me when I needed them the most. And I thought my world was coming to an end. And I couldn't sleep and I couldn't eat. And I thought it was all over, but out of nowhere. God turned it around. I need to tell you about the folks on Facebook that have blown me up and the people that have sent me hateful emails and tweet about me and talk about me and try to destroy my reputation and ruin my good name and I can't defend myself and I can't, I don't need to defend myself because he's my strong tower and he's my shield and he's my buckler and he's my defense and so I just keep my mouth shut and out of nowhere. Oh, let me quit talking about me and let me talk about you. You got an addiction in your life that's been beating the mess out of you. And you didn't think you were ever going to get free. And you heard everybody else talking about deliverance. And all of a sudden, out of nowhere, you always wanted cigarettes before. You always wanted alcohol before. You were addicted to pornographic material before. You couldn't get rid of anything out of your life. And out of nowhere, God steps in and turns it around. Your kids are acting crazy. Your boss is acting crazy. Your car breaks down people give up on you there's no hope all you know is pain and sickness and sorrow and doctors have said you're gonna die and out of nowhere God turns it around is there anybody in the room that's got to turn around come on with somebody just stand up and testify somebody get up and whoo I was going down for the last time. Ain't nobody helping me. Ain't nobody. I didn't think I could. Somebody get up and testify by turning around. Woo. I told you I'm just preaching this for me. Just preaching this one for me. White chocolate in the room. I'm just preaching this one for me. I just want you to know that I serve a God that has the ability to take your worst nightmare. I wish somebody would walk smack dab into the middle of Walmart and go down the cookie aisle. And when everybody's grabbing their cookies, I wish you'd say, Woo, y'all wait just a minute. And then get you some Oreos and go home. Listen, he can turn it all around. Listen to Isaiah chapter 54, verse 17. It's the promise that I'm giving to you. I didn't give it to you. I'm just telling you about it. God gave it to you. You need to get this into your gut. You need to get this into your spirit. He says this, if anyone attacks you, don't for a moment suppose that I sent them. If any should attack, nothing will come of it. He says, I create the blacksmith who fires up his forge and makes a weapon designed to kill. I also create the destroyer, but no weapon that can hurt you has ever been forged. What does that mean? That means that sickness that was supposed to take you out? That means that divorce that you thought was going to end your life? That means that failure that you thought was going to knock you down? No weapon. He goes on and he says this. He says, any accuser who takes you to court will be dismissed as a liar. You don't have to fight with your mouth. Fight with your God. Woo. He says, he says this is what God's servant can expect. I'll see. I'll see. I will. See, you can take this to the bank. I will see to it that everything works out for the best. 
That means if hell has come against you this week and you think life as you know it is over, all you got to do is get up and, and see God. See, some of y'all can't quote it out of the message, but you can quote it like Fred Hammond. Fred Hammond says, no weapon formed against me will work. And I just came to just encourage some of you. I know the devil's taking his best shot at you right now. And I see that it's knocked you off your feet. But if you'd quit laying there like a victim, and if you'd quit trying to just get out of it, and you would turn your eyes towards heaven and give your attention to God, he is all he's done is he's worked behind the scenes to set you up for a reverse. And what dominated you, you're going to dominate. See, it means that you come to the place where we think like Dan Gable. Dan Gable, you don't know who Dan Gable is. Some of you don't, but Dan Gable is a Hall of Fame wrestler. He wrestled in high school and in college, and he was a, an incredible coach. But in his college career, he had 182 matches. He went 181 and won. Everybody gets taken down. He dominated. And here, uh, he won an Olympic gold medal, but I want you to hear his mindset. Because his mindset, it must become our spiritual mandate so we understand and operate like this. He says this, and then I'm done. He says, I shoot, I score. So when I face up against my opponent, I'm going in and I'm scoring. But then he said this, when he shoots, I score. If some of you could just get that into your spirit, you would recognize this morning that it doesn't matter if it's your best day or your worst day. The truth of the matter is that your God is on your side. And according to Isaiah chapter 54, he will turn it all around for your good. If you will just stay in the fight long enough, regardless of what the doctor, what the lawyer, what your friend, what your spouse, what your classmates said about you, the truth is, is what matters is what God said about you. And what he said about you is I can take all that and I can take the sword that the enemy was going to cut your head off with and you can take it from him and use his own weapon against him. God is a reversing God. Would somebody in the room shout, I need a reverse. Stand with me this morning. Hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus. Father, I'm thankful this morning. I'm thankful that when we make up our minds and we refuse to quit, regardless of what we're going through, we're guaranteed two things. We're guaranteed that you'll provide a way of escape. And we're guaranteed that at some moment in the equation, if we stay in the fight long enough and we discern whether or not we should run or we should continue to fight, we are guaranteed that what will take place is that you will set up a reverse. And so this morning, Father, I pray over the people under the sound of my voice and those watching over the Internet. God, I don't know what they're going through. I don't know what challenges they're facing. I just know that a takedown is inevitable. There are folks here I know that are struggling in relationships and they feel like throwing in the towel and quitting. God, I know there are folks here that are struggling financially. They want to give up. It's so overwhelming and so daunting 
that they really just want to go home and turn off all the lights and get in the fetal position and crawl, crawl under some covers and stay there. God, I know there's some moms and dads here that have some children that have broken their hearts. God, there's some people here that some friends or so-called friends have wounded them deeply. There are folks here being talked about. There are folks here that are being ridiculed. There are folks here that are sick. And all that would concern me except for one thing. You're here. And so this morning, Father, I pray that in this very moment, in the hearts of hurt people, you would position us for escape or you would position us for reverse. God, I pray that the truth of this message that has invaded my own life would invade the lives of my folks today. And I pray that they would begin to look for how you're going to turn the tables on the enemy and they would no longer be afraid. And they would rest assured that Isaiah 54, 17 is true and you've made a decree. And the decree that you've made is that you will work it all out for the best if we would just trust you. So, Father, for anybody under the sound of my voice that has a quit in them, I pray that you would strengthen them right now. Raise them and put them back on their feet. According to the promises that you've given us in your word, I pray that you would establish their walk right now and they would fight their way back to their feet. And they would look at the enemy of their soul and say, is that all you got? You don't have something worse than that. If that's all you got, this is going to be an easy fight. I pray that somehow, some way, the quit in us would be driven out. Position us for victory. If you're here this morning, every head bowed for just a moment. You say, Steve, I need a reverse. I'm in a situation where I just don't even know what to do. And I literally need God to intervene. And it feels like the enemy's got the upper hand, but I know that God can turn some things around. But I need you to pray with me this morning and ask God to turn it around. Is there somebody that would raise a hand and say, I need that kind of reverse? Yeah, anybody else? Yeah, hands all over the place. Father, you saw the hands. Hearts transparent before you. God, I watched you turn a situation around just this week in my own life. So I know you can do it. And so I put my trust in you. There's no one like you. And Father, I pray over each person that raised their hand right now, and I pray that we would begin to get word over the coming weeks and months that you, in fact, walked right in those situations and you turned them around for good. We join our faith together. We believe you can do it. In Jesus' name. Let me end it like this. Two things. One, let me tell you about a situation in my own life. I won't take long. I bought a little car a couple years ago. Went to the car dealership. Bought it used down in South Oklahoma. Had 30,000 miles on it. 
warranty was about to end in 6,000 miles and I knew I couldn't afford to fix it if it messed up. So I bought an aftermarket warranty, 60 additional thousand miles. So that would cover my car to 90. I sat in the guy's office for 20 minutes saying, I ain't spending these thousands of dollars for this warranty unless it covers me to 90. Oh, it'll cover you to 90. Started having problems with my car last week. Took it in. They diagnosed it. $1,200 worth of repairs. Didn't have it. I said, don't worry about it. I got a, I got a warranty. <laughs> they called it in. Oh, no. That warranty just covers you to 60,000 miles. Well, thanks a lot, you jerk. I get on the phone, I call that dealership down in South Oklahoma and I say, look, I sat in your office for 20 minutes. Wouldn't have bought the thing. Well, we're sorry, there's nothing to do. It was just good for 60,000, so you only had an additional 30,000 miles. You spent all these thousand dollars. Sorry. Thanks a lot. Talk to the owner of the dealership. Nothing. Go home. Julie and I are sitting on the couch at 445. I'm looking at her going, I don't know what in the world. I, I left the car at the dealership here that's fixing it. I just said, here you go. I guess it's yours. I don't know. At 445, the general manager of that dealership in South Oklahoma called me. He said, Mr. Ely, yeah. we can't explain this. Uh, we know how, how this happened, but we started doing some research, and when you bought that car, we didn't even have a 60,000-mile warranty to offer you. That company doesn't even offer that kind of warranty. The only warranty they offered was 80,000. So we're going to extend that warranty to 80,000, and since your car's only got 70,000 on it, that means you're still covered, which means the $1,200 repair. Now look, I don't expect my warranty issues to impact you. But I just want you to know that that is the same God working on your behalf. And so, can, can we just do this one more time? Can all of us just testify the fact that whether I'm going through a situation now, whether I've been through a situation in the past, or whether I'm going to go through one in the future, this is what I know about my God. Come on, would you join me? Just one more time. Would you just get out of your seat? Maybe you need to do it two times. Come on, do it two times. Come on, let's do it to her dizzy. It's been a privilege to have you join us for this time of ministry. To find more Passion Church resources or to make a donation online, visit www.passionchurch.tv. Remember, you can't live without passion.